0: The free-for-all roundtable.
1: Round two. On round two this morning, we say good morning to Tamara Cherry from Pickup Communications. Bob Reed is a principal at BroadwayStrategy.com and the guy who created the very successful Touchdowns and Fumbles segments you can hear on Fridays on Jerry's show. Lindsey Broadhead is here, Strategic Communications and Public Affairs Advisor. Um, and as we start, Tamara Cherry, uh, you got a book out.
0: Uh, almost. Update is May ninth. But okay. yeah, the Trauma Beat, you can pre-order it now, and I will be in Toronto next week doing all sorts of things for it. Thank okay. you,
1: John. Okay. And can give, give us a bit of a taste of it? Or okay, I mean, you so and I it's... should do a standalone interview at some point. Yeah.
0: Yes. Well, from what I understand, we might be doing that. But basically, you know, I talk a lot about trauma on this show. I've done a lot of research on the impact of the media on trauma survivors and the impact of trauma on members of the media. So this book is part journalism based on that research, part memoir based on my years of the crime reporter in Toronto.
1: Good stuff. Looking forward to it. Uh, City of Thank Toronto you. committee uh, wants to declare homelessness a crisis. As I mentioned to Jerry, um, it is kind of in line with why you declare an emergency after a tornado or something like that. It's just to get somebody else to pay the bill. Lindsey Broadhead, I'll start with you. Um, I don't disagree that the feds, the feds should be giving more money to the City of Toronto over homeless issues because a lot of these issues are federal uh, matters. And then when it comes to mental health, Health issues—they're provincial matters—but we're all left holding the tab.
2: Yeah, Toronto. We've said this a thousand times, right? That we're we're paying a disproportionate amount of the, what we we meaning Toronto are paying a disproportionate amount of the responsibilities that we bear. Um, I think Jerry Agar is asking a really interesting question in his segment uh, that he teased there. You know, what does it mean? What will it matter? Because if declaring an emergency is a, you know, a communications effort so that it really narrows down in the upcoming municipal election for the candidates and their campaigns. okay. but if it actually means that the. uh the feds and the province hold actual accountability then i say go all in there are elements like let's think of what a crisis is a crisis is when there has to be quick action now because we can't handle what we're facing and there are many elements about this file where indeed it is a crisis so it it could be an interesting act yeah bob
1: reed i mean one of the issues would be refugees end up in the system another is as i mentioned people with mental health issues Um, and also there's the aspect where If somebody is precariously housed, as some might say, um, they head to urban centers because they have a fighting chance in an urban center. So homelessness is going to necessarily be overrepresented in our city.
3: All good reasons why this is uh, an an, an ongoing challenge for the City of Toronto, and all all legitimate reasons, and you're entirely right. Uh, Most of them tie back directly to uh, areas of responsibility that are the federal government, that are the provincial government, and this is is a, a problem that has been a long time in the making because those levels of government have consistently not given the city it's it's fair share in helping offset some of the challenges that come with being the largest city that come with being a home for uh, New refugees new Canadians who need the services that are available in the largest city or in large urban centers in general So there does need to be a fundamental change in the model It's been ignored for too long and we're seeing the the results of that now So this is purely a communications move Mm -hmm. to get the feds Attention, to put it on the mayoral campaign agenda. And it's the right tool at the right time. I say good for them. Okay, Tamara, do you agree?
0: Yeah, I mean, I think that this is uh, communications play in a big in a big part. And that is to say, you know, provincial, municipal, federal governments have a long history of throwing money at whatever problem is the flavor of the day. We saw it in Toronto in the early 90s, when there were a bunch of girls and young women being Pimped out on the streets by very violent pimps and then uh, out that issue went and then in came child pornography and a bunch of money was thrown at that. And now they're trying to get a bunch of money thrown at this by making it a quote unquote disaster or crisis situation. And for better or for worse, that's how we seem to deal with things in this country. Um, it's not to say that this is anything new, but I applaud them for trying to get eyes on this issue and hopefully getting some some real resources put on it.
1: So the Eglinton Crosstown is years overdue and significantly over budget. And for whatever reason, Metrolinks, the people responsible, have stopped talking. But we learned today, for example, from the Star, that a station that hasn't even opened is being ripped up because the platform doesn't conform. Bob, I'll start with you. I'm not sure necessarily if this will qualify for touchdowns and fumbles, but you know, it's it's remarkable that something that isn't open is already being renovated
3: and it's just another sign of the 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 critical mass of problems and negatives that are that are building around this i mean john you've you've got a panel of three communications advisors so i'll speak for my my friends and and colleagues sometimes the advice that you will give to an organization that's under fire is to just shut up and keep your head down. But those generally tend to be circumstances where you either don't have answers to the burning questions that are being asked, or the answers that you have are so bad They're going to create even bigger problems in the long run. And given the deafening silence that is coming from Metrolinx these days, we can only assume that that's the case, which is why this strategy of silence is eventually going to, pardon the pun, derail them. Okay, Tamara
1: Terry, it should be said, even in, for example, a home renovation, sometimes something doesn't go right, you got to tear it out and start over. Uh, Is there a level of tolerance? Do you have a level of tolerance for the fact that a station that was just built is now being torn out?
0: I mean, I do have a level of tolerance, but I'm not a business owner or a resident along Eglinton that's been dealing with this for a ridiculous number of years. What I will say is, um, is this a fumble? I mean, I'm not trying to take over your post there, Bob, but is this a fumble? (laughs) Yes, but it would be a bigger fumble if this Eglinton Crosstown LRT project finally finished, it opened up, and then suddenly that had to shut down because they had to tear it up. So it's better that they deal with it now than down the road.
1: Okay. Lindsay Broadhead, I'm still investigating some rumors I've been hearing. Um, that this is just the beginning of issues for the Eglinton Crosstown, that, you know, there may be some things that they got wrong that we're going to have to repair, and it's not even open yet.
2: Right, and, you know, to continue the uh, the comms 101 education uh, that uh, my colleagues started here, when you don't talk, you create a vacuum, right? So what's happening, whether it's Metrolinx or whether it's the province that's asked them to be quiet, it creates a vacuum and folks like us fill it and that's not good right no one's owning this story so all we're thinking right now is the worst right and what we're seeing um is the worst like it's not about the platform the platform is just one chapter in this like very long book saga um they need to start communicating saying something right now anything is better than what we're all thinking Um, so, you know, but they've received that counsel before. So, um keep digging, John, because I think there's a fantastic story on the other end.
1: Doug Ford, and it should be noted, there's a lot of uh, policing in the Ford family. Uh, Doug Ford announcing yesterday that they're not waving. If I understand it, uh, the police forces currently uh, favor somebody who has a bachelor's degree or another degree, um, but you're not you know, completely eliminated from consideration. But he wants to make it more possible for people just out of high school to become police officers. Tamara Cherry, you have uh, more than a passing familiarity with policing. Uh, Does higher education make for a better cop?
0: It it totally depends. Yes and no, John. Um, So as you know, we've talked about on the show before, I do a campaign with Toronto Police called TPS Trust, where I have conversations with officers from throughout the ranks just about their lives, about their jobs, about all sorts of things. Last week's profile was of acting staff superintendent uh, who did not have a university education or a college uh, diploma before he became a Toronto police officer more than 30 years ago, as very few officers did back then. But the lessons that he imparted, that he he put to work on the job, he had worked at a funeral home in a small town in Nova Scotia. and, and And the lessons he learned there in showing compassion to grieving family members and to the dead to show, showing respect to the dead were were lessons that you could never learn from university degree so i i don't see this as a big deal at all i think that it is it, it's it's a good thing in terms of taking an, down any perceived barriers that, that there may have been before but let's not be um let's not get things wrong here it's not an easy thing to become a police officer. It's a very difficult hiring process. I've met many incredible police officers who had to apply like eight, nine, 10 times before they got the job. I don't think that this is going to change that.
1: Okay, Lindsay Broadhead, your thoughts?
2: Um, I, Look, I, I think I have a different spin on what Tamara's saying, but the same conclusion, which is I don't, put a lot of weight on university degrees in general, other than they allow great amounts of time for critical thinking and growing and life experience. Um, I don't think you need that necessarily from the university or college experience. What I want to be reassured of is that um, if you're going into the force at a younger age and they see potential in you, that there's still enough time allotted for what you would have got otherwise in school, right? So that time to mature, to understand humanity a little bit more, um, to be critical. Uh, So as long as that's still part of the process, then I would support it.
1: Okay. Bob Reed, last word.
3: I think it's important for people to remember that this doesn't mean that there is no post-secondary education for police officers under this proposal, they will still go to the Ontario Police College. They will still get an intense, in-depth education in policing and criminology and everything else that goes along with it. Uh, The other thing is, uh, no degree carries with it automatically common sense, good judgment, (laughs) Empathy, all of the things that are essential for police officers. So uh, I, I don't I don't think that disposing with that requirement uh, is, is is a watering down necessarily. And lastly, if you want to have police services that reflect the population, if you want to have people from marginalized communities coming in, removing these barriers is a huge step forward. Thank
1: you all. Good to have you. Tamara Cherry, Bob Reed, Lindsay Broadhead. Catch the round table. Round one at 745. Round two at 845. Weekday mornings on more in the morning. News Talk 1010 Toronto.